Welcome back everyone to Common Sense Choices and I'm Linda Tupin. If this is your first time and you just happen to stumble on us, pull up a chair, enjoy the conversation. We're glad to have you on this journey. If you've been with us since December 2nd, 2021, you're a veteran, you know the drill, and we thank you for your support of our podcast. Our podcast is called Common Sense Choices. It's all about personal responsibility, making our world a better world by starting by making ourselves better. And it is based on the mantra that you see in the background on my seven foot piece of art. And we'll say it together. I actually have it on my coffee cup this morning. And it says, I am where I am by the choices I have made, or I have allowed others to make for me. So let's say that together with meaning. I am where I am meaning personal responsibility by the choices I have made or I have allowed others to make for me. Well, that's where it all started. And if you've been with us for the entire two and a half to three months now, you know that we started out in the month of December with some amazing episodes about mental health and the effect of COVID on the mental stability of all of us. We heard from wonderful psychotherapist, Pat Pearson on 10 ways to actually get rid of toxic thoughts. And then in January, we segued into physical health. You heard from my Dr. Lena Edwards as she talked about the ways that you can, uh, things that you can do to build your natural immunity. You heard from health enthusiasts, Pam Shaw and my yoga instructor champion, Glenn Brown. And now as we have segued into a two month series entitled, what does it really take to run an in-home business. So why are we talking about it? Well, during COVID, is referred to as the great resignation, meaning people left their offices, they came home to work, and many of them discovered they kind of liked it or they kind of had to stay. And for someone like myself, who now has four decades in running a business from your home, there's a lot to know about how to do that successfully. It sounds good, but there's a lot to know about it. So we started out by meeting five of my friends who have accumulated over 227 years of working for themselves. And then we also heard from my friend, Cindy Williams, because she talked about the mentality that you need to have to be successful in anything, which is are you a victim or are you a victor? And then last week we got down and dirty when we talked about milking the cow mentality. It's a work ethic mentality. Cows have to be milked at the same time, whether you're sick or someone's died. That's a pretty tough mental strong point that has to be made because if you're going to work for yourself, you're the boss. And so you're going to have to get tough on yourself. That discipline will pay off long-term. Well, before we get started and meet our fabulous guest speaker today, I want to direct you over to lindatupin.com. Now, that's the very best way to ensure that you never miss an episode. Many of you are telling me that you're using this with your youth groups, your church groups, your business groups, and your teams in direct sales. And so the best way to get the episodes just to simply sign up and they'll be emailed to you every Thursday or Friday. I'm also on YouTube. Just look me up, Common Sense Choices, Linda Tupin. You can be a subscriber there. Also, you'll find me on Apple and Spotify. If you're listening in the car, guys, hands on the wheel, nine and two, eyes straight ahead. Well, while you're over at lindatupin.com, check out our little link that says stuff I didn't know I needed. There you'll find your coffee mug, and you'll find some great t-shirts and hoodies. And we are excited to add to our collection something you all have been asking for for decades. 
my mantra on a canvas print. It's eight by eight, as you can see, it's a good size. You can hang it up on the wall or you can just run down to Target or Hobby Lobby and get one of these little stands. And you can pick up one of these. They went like hotcakes last week, you guys. I heard from so many teachers that this was going on their desk at school. I heard from a lot of therapists this was going on their desk. I think if you're anybody who works with anybody, it just kind of goes with you because it reminds people that they are where they are by the choices they've made or allowed others to make for you. And your support of that link and your purchases support this podcast. So thank you all so very much. It means the world to me. Well, this morning, we're not going to waste any time because we have a fabulous guest speaker. You met her briefly just a couple of weeks ago. She is one of my very best friends. I've known her for, I believe, three decades. We'll have to discuss that in just a second. She hails from Charlotte, North Carolina, and there are many, many things I admire about this woman, but one is her logical, rational mind and the way that she handles her finances. She didn't just manage money, she created wealth with her money. And guys, there is a difference between just managing money and creating wealth. Now today, we're gonna look at the angle of creating money um, and managing that money for an in-home business. And we may have to have her back and talk about creating wealth, but right now, would you please welcome and bring to the screen my good friend, Robin Rowland. Hi, Linda. Thank you for having me today. I'm so excited to be here and to be on your podcast with all your listeners. Well, Robin, I understand it is 36 and raining ice here in Lexington, Kentucky, and I understand in Charlotte, it's 74. It is. It's not, it's not sunshining. It's cloudy, but it is hot. Well, you know, the older I've got, the more I understand why people as they age move south because I've just about had it with cold weather. I totally get it. Well, we have a lot of people that have moved south. <laughs> I know that. I know that. Well, um, this morning, you know, you and I were chatting before we went live and you were sharing with me a little bit about some polling that you have studied recently when it comes to the topic of money. Let's talk a little bit about what that polling, re uh, you know, revealed to the world. Well, it was a poll conducted on behalf of an insurance company called American Life. And the poll was conducted basically to ask people about their financial situation. And it was a very recent poll. So the poll revealed that seven in 10 Americans say today that they are living paycheck to paycheck, which as you know, is a disaster because when you're living paycheck to paycheck, you have no freedom. I once lived there. You have no options. You're in a very tough spot. And 70% of Americans are in this situation today. 63% went on to say they do not think in their lifetime that they will ever reach a level of financial security. And reaching financial security is a choice. We have choices, just like you talked about a minute ago, and how we live and how we manage our money. We have a choice in how smart we are, and we have a choice in how skilled we become. Once again, financial security is a choice that people make. On average, the respondents in this same survey felt they would need an additional $686 of disposable income every single month 
to feel financially comfortable. Wow. That's income after paying a mortgage, after paying for food, for insurance, and other, you know, daily cost of living. So $686 is really not a lot of money if you really think about it. But most of those respondents or a good high percentage said that that is the amount that they would need added to their budget to feel a little more secure. So, you know, this is also true, Robin, because we've all seen it. You know, you have worked in your own business for 48 years. Uh, April this year will be 40 years for me. And we know, we know that makes a difference. You know, that old saying that money doesn't buy happiness is true, but what money buys is choices. Exactly. That's what it buys. And that's exactly what those people were saying is I, I feel like I have no freedom if I, do, if I do not have any disposable income. Yes, and let me also say that I don't think it's hard to earn money in America. In fact, I think it's easier to earn money here than in any other country in the world because we have a population of 330 million people, most of whom consume things. So there's a tremendous flow of supply and demand, but in order to make money, you have to know something. You have to either know a lot on the current job you have and become a valuable asset to your employer, or you can do what I did and what you did, Linda, and start a home-based business using skills that you already have or skills that you develop as you grow this home-based business. I personally, you did too, we started our own business because, well, I was self-motivated and disciplined to do what was necessary to build the business I started. And plus, more importantly, I felt like I was very underpaid on my job. I may have been paid what that job was worth, but I was certainly not paid what I was worth to that company. And so so you started out working for other people. So you started out in a corporate, out of college. Yes, I was was actually, my my first job out of college, I was... uh, hired by IBM and office products. And uh, I was working for IBM when the memory typewriter came about, which is the kind of the forerunner to a computer. Um, But I did not like IBM. I think Linda, as soon as I heard that IBM stood for I've been moved, I quit. Um, because I never wanted to go anywhere. I mean, I know you love to travel. That was never my thing. No, it isn't. I I left IBM and was hired to work for an advertising agency on the McDonald's hamburgers account. Um, But, you know, I found very quickly that that was also not my cup of tea. I actually had planned to go to law school, but after the IBM stint and then working on the McDonald's account, I figured out really quickly, I'm really not cut out for this corporate thing. And so, I decided to start my own business. And I'm gonna tell you, I knew nothing about running a business. I was an English major in college, which basically meant nothing other than I could read and write really well. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I decided I was just not gonna continue to work nine to five or nine to eight or whatever the hours were and never really feel like I was in control of not just my paycheck, but I wanted to, 
work in an environment that resonated with my own values and principles. And I knew the only way that would ever happen is if I was the president of my company and I was telling me what to do. Well, and, and you know, I, th I think everything that you've just said resonates with literally millions of people around the world, especially here in the United States, uh, because in, in my lifetime, as I've, I've, as I've built my business, I'll talk to people and they'll say, well, that all sounds really good to own my own business, call my own shots. But, you know, I need that security of that paycheck. I, you know, I, 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 you know, it scares me not to have that insurance and that security of the paycheck, which always is always leads me to my next question with those people. I'll say, well, how much money would you have to make each month to pay your insurances? Not one person in 40 years has ever been able to answer that question. It feels like this really big number in people's head, but they've never actually done the math for it to actually break it down. And, you know, the, the other logic is, well, I need that secure job with this secure employer. Please name me a secure employer in Absolutely. 2021. I, I couldn't That's think of it. Yeah. You know, a political yeah. election can lose you a job in, in a lot of places right. in the world. The only security is when you work for yourself, because then nobody can get rid of you. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, when you were with us before, is thank you for coming back, your second appearance on Common Sense Choices. Um, you talked about the 10 basic things that people needed to know in order to start gaining control of their money. And this is not only something that you've lived and you've developed, because you said a few minutes ago, I believe, that you were not always good at this. You were not always a good money manager, but this is something right. you've learned. And now you actually help other people with this as well. And we can talk about that later, but they can check you out at robinroland.pink, robinroland, R-O-W-L-A-N-D.pink. Uh, because, you know, uh, there's an old saying that says you only take advice from people you would trade places with. Well, when I start looking at who to bring on this podcast and their level of expertise on different topics, you were the first person on the list because you, you have given me money advice many times in my career, and I've always taken it, and it's always paid off. And so, Robin, tell us the story. Were you always good at money? No, absolutely not. In fact, after I left my corporate job and started my own business, it didn't take me long to realize that I really didn't know a whole lot. And that the first thing I realized had to change was how I handled my money. I really knew nothing about how to manage a business financially. Um, I did not grow up with parents who really taught me that, even though my dad had his own business, that was just not something I ever you know, caught from them. Um, my goodness, I didn't even know how to balance a checkbook. I just always made sure I had more money in my accounts than my check register showed. <laughs> and that way I knew I would never bounce a check. And I didn't. I never bounced a check. But down the road, it became obvious that I needed to brush up on my money management skills. For instance, from the moment I started my own business, I was basically using two checking accounts, one for personal and one for a part of my business, but my business actually had several different parts to it. And the, and the money to run those parts needed to be separated in order for me to see where my money was going and to realize my profits. Of course, this is not true of all businesses, 
but for my business, it was totally necessary. And I'll try to talk about this a little bit later if there's an opportunity. Um, I'd also like to say too, Linda, that I was not completely self-taught. I had a friend and a mentor who made suggestions and guided me along the way. And she was instrumental in helping me understand the need to have good money management skills. However, let me just say, she could not do it for me. She made suggestions and she showed me what she thought I should do, but I had to discipline myself to follow through on those suggestions. So I was not an overnight sensation in any sense of the word. First of all, I had no money to manage. I had to hustle, I had to build my business, pay off my initial loan to start my business, and then I began to see some profit. And with the money I earned, I began to invest in some good equipment that allowed me to run my business more smoothly. And I also hired help. I could never have built my business had I not been willing to get office help. But it took money to also get office help. And it took me disciplining myself and working hard in order to make the money to get the office help. Well, I'd like, to, I'd like to just stop right there for just a second, Robin, because I'd just like to amen what you just said. I remember a valuable conversation I had with my own tax accountant where I was starting to develop my business. I was getting more and more cash flow in. And I remember a very tearful appointment where I said to her in tears, the more I make, the more I spend. And it's very frustrating because I was doing everything you just said, which was I had to get help. I had to get better equipment. I had to invest in my business. And she drew me a chart and I've never forgotten the chart. And it basically looks something like this, which was like, Linda, every business, she goes, I sit here all day long and I work with small businesses, expenses, income, expenses, income. They both rise at the same time. But she said the biggest mistake, the biggest mistake that everyone makes is eventually a business the expenses level out. That's right. And the income soars. And most people quit before they ever get to that split in the graft. That's the truth. And it was like, okay, then there's light at the end of the tunnel. I just have to be, you know, because I had a big number income, but you know, like I, I didn't go shopping. I didn't go crazy. I didn't buy lavish things or a lavish house at all. In fact, Robin, I wore a jacket today from 1990 something to prove to you I am a good steward of my money. So this is in celebration of you, my friend. <laughs> well, let me also say that I live in a house today that I have lived in for 31, 31 or 32 years. And it's a very nice house. It's very comfortable. But, you know, my, my first goal was to pay the mortgage off. And I did that three years after moving into this house. So... You know, you have to make smart money decisions, but let me just, I'll get there in just a second, but let me also go back and say that, you know, along the way, like anybody else, you included, I'm sure, we made some really good decisions with our money, but we also made some pretty stupid decisions that I had to learn the hard way. And you know, I'd love to share some of those lessons I learned and, and you know, maybe perhaps some people that are listening to us today can learn from our mistakes. But unfortunately, I seem to learn everything the hard way. But really, there's no better teacher than learning lessons from experience. Right. Um, I, Linda, I think some of the people that listen probably already operate a home-based business, but 
I'm thinking you probably have people listening too that are just maybe thinking about it or maybe don't have a home-based business, but it is my personal belief that the manner in which we handle our personal and business finances up front has a huge impact on how we build a business because how we handle our money impacts how we feel about ourselves. Yes. And we all know that money impacts our relationships. And when we're handling our money correctly, we're far more open and transparent in our personal and in our business relationships. I believe that financial integrity is the cornerstone of any good business because it allows you to run your business from the needs of your customers and not from your own personal needs. I think, I think when you struggle financially, you're more likely to manipulate people if you're in a position to do that. And if you have your own business, you are in that position. And I also think you um, are more likely to manipulate situations for your own gain. So that's never a good way to run a business. When your character is in question, um, people are leery of doing business with you. I've often said the most freeing thing I ever did in my business was to make a decision to get totally out of debt because when you have no debt, you can really work from your heart and not from your personal needs. Financial freedom, I think, allows us to be truly others focused. Oh, amen, 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 my friend. And so I'm going to talk about those 10 things that I talked about just in that little brief podcast that we all did with you a couple of weeks ago. So these are kind of my top 10 financial lessons I learned from starting and operating a business from home. I could talk about a whole lot more, but I think these are probably the top of the list. So number one, I would say if you're, if you're starting a home-based business, at all costs, avoid relying on credit cards to fund your business. If you borrow money to open your business, try if you can, if you have the credit, to get a simple interest loan rather than using a credit card because the compounding interest on a credit card adds up fast because when you don't pay the balance, then the interest accrues into next month. And next month you begin paying interest on top of the interest you accrued from last month. You talk about a money waster, that's a money waster. 38% of people who start a business raise money from friends and family. That was not my choice, but many people take that route. Personally, I went down to my local bank and pled my case with the guy who was a branch manager of the bank. And I will tell you, that was the day I realized that if I wanted to get anywhere in life, I had to sell myself first because that man, he bought me. He did not buy what I had because I was in debt. The second um, top 10 piece of advice I would give is to pay on your loan every single week, even a small amount, because you'll pay your loan off faster if you pay on it every single week. I never went a week without paying on my loan. And by paying it off quickly, I did need up my money paying interest. With a simple interest loan, every time you go pay, you reduce the loan. And that's how I paid off my mortgage real quick. I made two house payments every single month. And, and consequently, all of the interest that was put on the front end of the mortgage was quickly chopped down because I was making two payments every single month. Sometimes I made three a month. 
And the third piece of advice is the quickest way to earn a profit is to increase your sales and decrease your expenses, which Linda kind of alluded to a few minutes ago. Um, the fastest way to pay off a business and to get on a profit basis is to just reduce what you're spending. Now, let me also say, I did not cut corners so much that I was not willing to have what I needed. But I took the money that I was making and invested it in ways that, as Linda said, would even off and would pay me down line. For instance, I bought a postage meter and I bought a copier. And those two things kept me from standing in the line at the post office. It also kept me from spending a lot of money and time going to make copies of things. And so some of that is not necessary today just due to technology that we have available to us. But when I started my business, those were just things that needed to be done and were important. Uh, the fourth piece of advice I would say is that just because you can tax deduct something is not a good justification to spend money on it. So why spend a dollar to write off 30 cents? I used to always ask myself anytime I was getting ready to make a decision about spending money, is this a need or is this a want? And if it was a want, I just tried my best to clamp down on my desire to have whatever it was and to delay that gratification. Um, prior to starting my, my own business, the reason I was in debt is because I didn't live by delayed gratification. I love nice clothes and a big weakness I have is music. And I'm, even today, I probably have 4,000 CDs in my house that are irrelevant because it's all streamed. And I did my share of spending money that didn't need to be spent. Most of those purchases came after I started making money. But even today, I try to ask myself, is this a need or is this a want? That's interesting that you said that because one of, there's not a lot I remember about my college education, but I had a professor once who literally, that was the first thing we did in class one day. Uh, he said, I want you to write down what is a need and what is a want. And the only thing that you need is fire. What was it? A fire, a cave and meat, which I would probably argue the meat part, but fire mm -hmm. and a cave, which is shelter and warmth is all you need. I was like, okay, I got it. Yeah. Well, those are like the foundation of Maslow's hierarchy. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So number five is it was critical for me to create a budget for my business expenses. You know, in most businesses, your, your expenses vary from month to month. Um, and I think that's probably true for everybody. So what I recommend you do, which is what I did, is rather than always be insecure about what my expenses were, like I determined what my average expenses were for a month by adding up the total that I spent for the previous year. Like right now, we're paying taxes. So now is a really good time to do this because you're gonna get a feel for what you spent last year if you already have a business. And you simply take that number and divide it by 12 for the 12 months of the year. And I would suggest adding at least 10% for cost increases because we all know that things are going sky high right now. And 
put that same amount of money every single month into your business checking account. Then if you have a month where you spend more than you did the previous month, then you always have the money you need. Never take the money out right. because that is an account that you add to and you draw from depending on which month it is and what your costs are that month. Right. So the sixth thing that I would say is to keep business funds and personal funds totally separate, including your credit cards. You never want to commingle your money. That was a big mistake I made in the early years. And because I did that, I was not able to take certain tax deductions, but it kept me from feeling like I was making money. It was not until I began to separate my money. I kept my personal money totally separate. We kept my business money totally separate. And as time went on, my business grew. Then I began to do different things like I added an employee checking account. Also added an account strictly for taxes. And that was a money market account. So it would grow a little bit of interest. Money market accounts are growing no interest right now. But I still have a tax account that is a money market because I want to get my hands on it. I don't want it to be tied up in, you know, something that I have to sell or, or that could go up and down like the stock market is doing at this very moment. Number seven, bookkeeping software is a critical component of money management in a home-based business. I think bookkeeping leads you to better business decisions regarding financing, taxes, and profit. And let me just give you a few basic bookkeeping steps. One, invest in business accounting software. I think proper software selection is critical for success. Number two, each month reconcile your account using business accounting software and run a profit and loss statement. You know, a checking account balance is not a ind good indication of how much profit your business has made or what amount is available for profit. So a profit and loss statement can provide a better picture of the financial health of your business. And if you have money software, that will tell you that. You can do that very easily. And the third bookkeeping idea is just always track your sales. Create an airtight system for tracking sales using tools such as invoices and software that are created for the particular industry that you find yourself working in. Number four, deposit every dime you take in. Total sales should equal total deposits. Do not spend cash. I have done that in my early years. You know, you go work your business. On the way home, you decide that you need groceries and you stop and use that little bit of cash saying, I'm going to put it back. No, you don't. You don't ever put it back. I know I didn't, and I'm disciplined. Right. Always link all forms of sales documentation, such as invoices, with a specific deposit. And then the fifth thing is write business checks for all business expenses or use a business check card. Do not use a petty cash system until you're experienced and disciplined at bookkeeping. And then number six, obtain a separate business credit card. Doing so helps you keep track of business expenses because you want to be able to tax deduct them. When they're commingled with another credit card, they sometimes get lost. 
Oh my gosh. I, I, I relived my entire career on those, those things that you just mentioned, Robin. I mean, anybody yeah. with any business expense. And, and I just want to say to my audience that, you know, when I first started like, like Robin, I mean, there wasn't computers and I had a little ledger that you bought down at the store and I still have kept mine because I want to always remember. And I think Robin, I, I must've got that from my mom. My mom was kind of like a real bookkeeping kind of person for our farm when we were growing up. And so literally every, like I paid my neighbors 50 cents to come over and help me with my business one day. And it's in that ledger that I paid them 50 cents. But the, but the thing I think I want to bring to the audience's attention and it's it and and I think you would completely agree with it is when you have to reconcile in a software system. So I use QuickBooks just as an example. There's many others. I literally do it every morning. It's that mindless thing I do of the morning when I don't like I can't think straight. So I just go in there. And when you reconcile in a system, what it does is it makes you own the purchase twice. So you bought it yesterday, but today you have to look at it again and say, yes, I bought that. And that's the category it belongs in. And what that does is it changes your behavior overnight. I mean, overnight yeah. it changes your behavior because it forces you to own a purchase twice. And that's why I do it daily because there's only like two or three things in there every day. Even when I was full speed business, there wouldn't been more than 10 or 15 things in there a day. It's going to take you three minutes to do, but it, you own it and there's an emotional attachment to owning it and regretting it. And then it makes you question like, do I really want to give this person my card? Because tomorrow I have to own it again. To give you an example, I travel a lot for pleasure now. And I was out West last summer and I'm used to renting a car, one city, dropping off in another. I know it's expensive. I'm used to spending maybe $1,200, $1,500 to do that. My bill was $2,500 to do that. And I don't know how it got past me, but the day, Robin, that I had to reconcile that in QuickBooks, I almost vomited. I bet. I bet. Well, and, it's interesting, Linda, because I do the same thing. I, I I know you know I'm a morning person and I'm up between 3.30 and 4. This morning I was up at 3. And the first thing I do, I actually sometimes, you know, when you have when you have money software, I use Quicken. I know you use QuickBook, QuickBooks, but it syncs to your bank. Right. You first set it up, it syncs to your bank. And so what happens is it looks just like a check register. And in the morning, I reconcile too. And when I bring, when I sync with my bank and, the, and it comes down into the check register, then you previously set up categories right. that once you've set those categories up, it automatically you know, goes into those categories. And then at the end of the year or the end of the month, you can get a quick look at what you spent in a certain category, like say, you know, renting cars. Well, exactly. And, you know, for the person watching this or listening to this today, and maybe you don't own your own business yet, or that's not even on the radar. You know, when Dave Ramsey talks about the envelope method, yes. which is like you take a paycheck of, you know, let's say a thousand dollars and you literally cash it and you have these envelopes. I mean, yes. that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, and, and categories separating, separating the money out into those envelopes. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what it takes. And I know that sometimes that doesn't seem very glamorous, but that's what it takes. It does. It, it does if you want to get on the other side of 
you know, just stay in it at the beginning of a business. I mean, you know, I think it's John Maxwell who made the statement, you can pay now and play later, or you can play now and pay later. Right. And if you pay in the beginning and you do these things right, and I, and Linda, it's, like you said, it's, this is not just for people that are starting a business. These are good money habits for anybody. I mean, exactly. I'm not running a business now necessarily, and I'm still doing these things. And I will always be grateful that I learned this because I think that doing my money right, as I said in the beginning, it allowed me to feel integrative about my business and how I worked with my customers and my clients. And therefore it allowed me to soar. Well, and, and I, I, I made myself a note because I just loved everything that you said about financial integrity and how it affects you, how you feel about yourself, especially if you're working with people or you're operating a company and you're operating out of need or desperation, or actually to serve other people and to care about other people. Uh, I remember a year, and I guess this is the part of the program we get to tell our bad stories, but there was, uh, there was literally a, a three-month window where I buried my family in uh, $18,000 worth of high-interest credit card debt. Now, none of it had to do with my business. It had to do with the birth of a child without proper insurance and a tax liability that, that we didn't see coming. Um, and so this was right at the very invention of credit cards. I actually should have brought them in here today. I have this massive bags of credit cards that they sent me back in the late 80s, early 90s. I mean, people would just send you these massive cards. And, you know, you weren't clueless and back then. And... Um, and so $18,000 went on those cards that were at 23, 24% interest. Oh and, for eight, and for 18 months, I lived a lie. I literally yeah. would get up in the middle of the night to pay one credit card with the other. And it blossomed to 25,000 in 18 months. And it required me doing a whole lot of things I didn't like to do, which was admitting I'd made a horrible mistake and actually going and getting a simple interest loan at a low interest rate that had an ending date and never using a card again. And then I just wanna to say to the audience, one thing that I, I can remember exactly where I used my debit card the first time. I, mean, I don't want to start crying, but I remember the grocery store and I remembered the feeling when I said, I will never use a card again. And I used my debit card and I put in my pen. And, and it's weird, every time I use that, I think of that moment that I became free. I literally became yeah. free. Yeah, and it is the most freeing thing in the world when you're living day to day by paying for what you do and what you spend. And a minute ago, when we were talking about reconciling our accounts every morning, um, I even go a little bit further. And you know, some people probably think I'm OCD doing this, but whatever I buy today, I pay for it tomorrow morning when I reconcile my accounts. I go right on to my Bank of America um, online banking. And whatever I paid for yesterday, and I do use a credit card. Personally, right. for me, I don't like debit cards because I'm too afraid of somebody getting a hold of it and wiping out my account. So I do use a credit card, but I do not buy one thing that I cannot pay for. And well, and, and that's, that's a really good point because over time, there is a, a level of maturity with your money that it actually makes sense to do what you're doing. Yes. Yes. Not everybody can do that. 
which is like, I have a card for big purchases that gives me my miles. That's why I get upgraded yes. to first class most of the time yes. is because I learned to do that. But you have to do what you just said, which is that day, the moment it hits the credit card, you go yeah. that one thing off. Absolutely. And I call that OCD. I call that smart. Yeah, well, it, it has served me well for many years now. And I'll never regret it. And I do just like you with my Bank of America, I get rewards. And, and so it pays me to use my credit card. Right. Okay, All, so, right. All right. So just a couple more things here. I'm almost ready to wrap it up. Um, number seven, seven under bookkeeping. Set aside money to pay your taxes before you do anything else. I said a minute ago, I always kept a separate ta tax account. I will tell you that one of the things I watched after I started my own business and before my own business, I watched people get in trouble with their taxes. And I can tell you, it is no fun. The IRS will garnish your wages in a skinny minute if you do not pay your taxes. So, you know, the Bible teaches us to render under, unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And we do have to do that. Even though I don't want to, I do it. Number eight, pay yourself from your business account after setting aside money for taxes and your business expenses. If you don't feel like you have enough money to pay your bills, then what do you have to do? You have to increase your sales. You have to go make more money in order to have more money left over. Okay, so number eight under the top 10 tips is pay the price for an expert CPA. Get a CPA who is familiar with a home-based business. My CPA, I'd put her up against anybody in America. Her name is Penny Lewis. And, you know, if you need a good CPA, um, Penny at PennyLewis.com. She's fabulous. But I think sometimes when you start your own business, you think you can cut a few corners um, here and there. I learned from being in advertising that advertising is not the place to cut a corner. And I also know from having my own business that cutting the corner on the cost of the CPA is not the place to do it. Amen. Number nine, and I've kind of already said this, but I'm going to say it again because it's critical. Keep up with your taxes. Some self-employed individuals may have to pay up to a 15% employment tax called FICA in addition to their regular income taxes. And to avoid tax time surprises, you just have to periodically review your taxes throughout the year. And do not forget to make necessary quarterly tax payments because if you don't and you owe them, you will be paying penalties. Yeah. And then number 10, I'm gonna add a number 11 in a minute. Number 10, discipline yourself to save money every single week. I promise you, when I started my business, I was single and my condominium payment was almost $850 a month. And that was in 1980. Wow. It, that was a lot. And it was scary because, you know, the plumbing broke and different things broke. And I really, I didn't have any money. I mean, I sometimes laugh and say, I'm glad I was a girl because men took pity on me when they came to fix stuff in my house. But, you know, I, one of the things I learned I had to do is <coughs> I had 
nothing and because I was in debt, I sort of lived the scarcity mentality until I began saving. One of the things I can, I can tell the audience is when you, when you have no money, you spend everything you have. But when you begin to save money and you see it grow, you wanna protect it because it then begins to give you the ability to live the life of serving other people on their terms, as we have already talked about. I started saving $5 a week. I know that sounds crazy, but it was all I had. And that $5 a week added up week after week after week. And what it did for me is it gave me an emotional feeling about having nothing to all of a sudden feeling like I had something to fall back on. And it took away the fear that I lived under until I began to do that. So Linda, those are my top 10 pieces of money advice. Well, those are invaluable. You should write a book, Robin. Uh, you said you had 11. Okay, my yes, I did. My 11th one is never do financial investing with a friend. <laughs> never because I lost two really, really, really good friends because of that. And I also lost $150,000. Yes, yes, those are topics for another day, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I yes. mean, we, we, we have a lot to say about that. A couple of things I want to reiterate to you when you were talking about the importance of taxes, because several of your points are about taxes. As much as I hate them, as much as I, despise how they spend my tax money it's just my reality and i'm a realist yes it is, yes, it is. i'm a realist and um i personally know in my own business in my own sales business women who had an office full of trophies that are no longer in that business because they never figured that piece out they just ignored it. They was just like, oh, it'll take care of itself and it will not take care of itself and they will come and get you and yes. they will get their money. And so you're just, you're putting your head in the sand and it is that, that, that dog, as my daddy would say, that dog don't hunt. Yeah. And, and, then, I, and I myself know people that that happened to, and it is not a pretty picture. No. And, and, and then you find yourself working down the street for Joe Blow and right. working the awful hours you don't want at, at rates you don't want to work because you weren't disciplined in your own business. Exactly. And then when you said, I uh, think it was the eighth point under number seven, when you talked about, you know, if you don't have any money left to live at the end of the day, then you have to, you have to increase your sales. Yes. And our topic is not time management, but I need to remind my audience that there's 168 hours in a week. When you work 40, you have 128 hours left. And after you sleep eight hours a night, which is 56, you still have 72 hours left. What happens to people's time, we all have exactly the same amount, is A, how we view it and what we tell ourselves. I'm so tired. I don't have any time. I'm so broke, whatever. You got to change that language like Cindy talked about earlier. But the bottom line is, that 72 hours, you can take 5, 10, 15 of it if you discipline yourself to work something else and start getting rid of some of the other things that doesn't make you money and doesn't bring you joy. Exactly. So, Robin, 
you have been a godsend to my listeners today. You are always a godsend to me. I've taken money advice from you many times. I have never regretted it. It has always grown wealth for me. And you are truly a blessing. And you said in the beginning, in your notes, I took copious notes that, you know, you had a mentor, you had someone that told you what to do. You know, you only take advice from people you would tell what to do. And so if you would like some help and, and uh, you would like to work with Robin, and if she has got the availability, of course, she's got a waiting list, but she has availability. You can check her out at Robin Rowland. That's W excuse me, R-O-W-L-A-N-D, Robin Rowland, dot pink. And you can contact her that way. Robin, anything else you would like to say to my listeners before we disconnect? I don't think so. I'm, I'm honored to be here. And I hope that what we've talked about will provide some people some needed help because, you know, it never hurts to get all the help you can get. No. No, and, and 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 just seeking wisdom, you know, that's really what this is about. It's, it's like seeking wisdom. That's why people turn into a podcast is because it's like, I need to hear someone who makes sense. This is common sense. And yeah. that's what you provided my audience today. I'm going to throw up a picture of you and your precious mama right now on our screen. I had the honor of being in Robin's beautiful home that she paid off in three years. Um, and Robin is a great cook. We're all convinced, trying to convince her to start her own little cooking show over on Facebook, but she's a fabulous cook. This is her precious mom um, and uh, that, that she uh, lives with and takes care of. And what a blessing you are to so many of us, Robin. Yeah, thank you, Linda. And let me just say, I love your podcast. I, I have learned a lot from watching them. I mean, every single one of them I've watched. And of course, I know the people that you've had but they're a blessing to everybody. I'm grateful you're doing them. Well, thank you. Well, cheers, my friend. Cheers today. Absolutely. All right, you guys. Well, this wraps up our, our episode. We've got many more coming on all these foundational principles. And Robin Rowland, you are a blessing to all of us here today. And I thank you for your time. And I can't wait for you to join us next week, you guys. In the meantime, have a great week. Thank you, Linda. Bye, everybody.